May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Well, good morning and welcome to Parkway Fellowship. I am so glad that you are here today because today we have two very special guests from an organization called Love 146 that works and does an incredible job to help end human trafficking. And so today we have uh, Rob Morris, the chairman, CEO, and uh, supreme commander of Love 146 with us here today. Uh, And we have Aria Jefferson who also works at Love 146 here in the Houston office. So let's welcome them to Parkway Fellowship today. So glad that you guys are here. Really glad you're here. Now, Rob, I know that you've been with us here before, and some, of, some people uh, know the story of Love 146, but we, we have some new people that maybe haven't been here before, maybe other people that like, maybe missed one of the other times. So why don't you tell us about Love 146, how it got started, how it got its name, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having us back. Um, This is, I think, the third year, maybe Mm -hmm. fourth year that I've been back here, and it's always an encouraging time. Thank you for your generosity, and I would say it's an extravagant generosity that uh, you support the work that we do um, and enable us to do it well. Um, We deeply appreciate it. And it's not just your generosity that's encouraging to us, but it's the passion with which uh, you engage a very, very dark issue. Um, If you're like me, I was given the impression when I graduated from high school that slavery ended with this thing that we call the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, But the reality is slavery still exists today in some of its worst imaginable forms, and oftentimes the victims of this kind of slavery are the most vulnerable, which in so many cultures are children. And that's what we're working to end and to stop from happening. So 13 years ago, when I first got involved in this um, particular issue, um, not a lot of people knew about human trafficking or what it was. and I didn't know much about it. When I first started hearing about the trafficking and exploitation or, or physical slavery of children, I was stunned. I was shocked that this could potentially exist in our world. And so um, a couple of friends and I started to educate ourselves on the issue to figure out what can we do about this. And through that process, we connected with an organization made up of criminal investigators that go into brothels or into these places where children are being sold like commodities and, and, and abused. Um, and they basically go in undercover into these places um, and uh, pose as customers. Um, And um, they have undercover surveillance equipment on, they gather enough evidence. When they have enough evidence, they then present that evidence to local authorities, actually having to do a separate investigation, oftentimes of local law enforcement, because sometimes law enforcement are corrupt and are actually being paid by brothel managers or traffickers. Um, And and so it's a pretty complex, long process, which is about doing justice. And and, um, so So when they have enough evidence, uh, there's a raid that takes place. Usually these children are taken out of these places and the goal is to shut these places down and then children begin their long road to recovery. And so when we started educating ourselves and connected to this organization, um, this organization said, hey, if you really want to educate yourself and understand the issue, you should see it firsthand. So they invited us uh, to one of their operating centers in a Southeast Asian country. And um, uh, me and my friends went uh, uh, and honestly did not know what to expect. And I remember the first night that we arrived, we found ourselves standing outside of a brothel. Uh, These investigators gave us this brief training on how to pose as a customer. Have to say it was the most disturbing experience of my life to have to pretend to be the very thing that everything in me is completely and utterly repulsed by. 
And I remember just before we went in, they said, listen, you cannot break cover. You cannot, if, you, if you feel like you're not gonna be able to hold it together emotionally, um, or, or you think you're gonna lose it, don't go in, because if you do, it could destroy this investigation. We're almost at the end of it, and we were like, no worries, until we went in there. And I will never forget this night as long as I live, as I found myself standing in this room, looking through these glass windows where there were these uh, girls sitting in rows, having matching red dresses on, having even the dignity of a name stripped from them. They just had numbers pinned uh, to their dresses. And I remember in that moment hearing those words again of that investigator going through my head, if you don't think you can hold it together. Because everything in me, as a father, um, as a man, as a human being, was not holding it together. Everything in me wanted to smash through the glass in that moment and try to scoop up as many of these kids um, in, in that moment. Everything in me was trying to figure out how many of these guys in this room could we take out right now. And all of these thoughts and emotions were raging through. And we had to restrain from acting in that moment so that this investigation can be completed and this place completely shut down. And I remember the thing that so took my breath away that night was the looks in the eyes of these children. I have six kids of my own, and one of the few things that I've learned about children is that if there should be anybody on the planet that has a light on in their eyes, that has that sparkle um, in their eyes, it should be a child. But these children had that taken from them. They were like little robots staring at children's cartoons, playing on crackling little television sets, literally waiting to be purchased and abused. And they were completely and utterly shut down with these blank robotic stares, except, except for one girl. And I will never forget her face. My guess was that she was probably new to the brothel because that light had not been taken from her. She was staring at us. She was the only one not looking at the children's cartoons. She was staring at us through the glass and there was still this fight in her eyes, almost a look of defiance, like you will not take me. And I will never forget that face. Oftentimes it's the last face I see at night when I close my eyes to go to sleep. She still haunts me. Um, and I will never forget her number. Her number was 146. And so to me, she represents the multitudes, that this is not about an issue or a cause, but it's about somebody's child. It's about real human beings. Sometimes I think we can sort of take an arm's distance when it's just an issue or a cause, but when we start thinking that there are human beings, there are people that are made in God's image that represent uh, these numbers and these statistics and everything, it changes the level of engagement. You know, there's a great passage in Lamentations that says, my eye affects my heart. And seeing with my own eyes, my heart was affected to the point that we've got to do something, we've got to engage. And out of that place, um, the organization Love 146 was birthed to stop this from happening and to care for those children um, that it has happened to. And so we started doing survivor care, caring for survivors. We were talking to this particular organization made up of criminal investigators who said, man, we know where there's kids right now, but we can't do a rescue because there aren't enough places to put them where they can begin their long road to recovery. And I thought that was insane that a child will spend another night in a brothel being abused because there weren't enough places to put them. And so we began to do survivor care in Asia um, and then into uh, Europe and now we're, we're doing survivor care in the United States. But then there was also this thing that began to haunt me of like, man, we're doing all this survivor care but not really addressing the reason why we're doing survivor care. And so then we began to build, uh, build our prevention programs and that's what, one of the things that we're doing here in Houston because at the end of the day, we wanna stop this from happening. We don't wanna keep building shelters or safe homes. We wanna stop the reason why we're having to build shelters and safe homes, and that's where Love 146 was birthed. Okay, so like, um, so go back, like what happened, what happened that night at, like how did that turn out with the, with the brothel where, 
146 was? It's a great question. It's a question that, that, again, haunts me. It's a question I get asked all the time. Whatever happened to 146? Well, the investigation was not complete that night. It took several more weeks or so to complete the investigation where they felt they had a strong enough case and evidence to shut the place down. And when they went in to do a raid with local law enforcement, most of the girls had already been taken out of the place. Somebody had tipped off the brothel managers, and so the brothel owners and managers moved uh, the kids. And so to this day, we have no idea what happened to her, and that does haunt us. At, at the same time, I carry this distant hope that maybe someday, if she is still out there, that maybe she would hear her story. I mean, we have people that wear her number physically. I mean, we have people that you see her, her number all the I can't even drive past a Route 146 without being reminded uh, and thinking. We have people that send us pictures of them tattooing her, her number on their bodies to remember not only the one, but all the multitudes that she represents. Mm, that's huge. Um, you know, one of the best things I like about Love 146 is that you guys don't just focus on survivor care, like helping people, kids get their lives back once they've been rescued, but that you guys do prevention. Because, let's face it, wouldn't the best thing be that these kids are never trafficked in the first place? I mean, if we could stop it before it actually happened, before those kids have to go live through the horror of being trafficked, I mean, wouldn't that be the best thing to do? Absolutely, and that's what I think since your organization apart from literally every other trafficking organization that I've ever come across is that you guys help stop it before it ever gets started. And that's actually a very biblical thing to do. Um, go ahead and look at your message notes if you don't have them out. In fact, today there's no fill-ins. You just gotta take notes yourself. Um, so this is like, like big person sermon day. <laughs> um, so, in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11, here's what the Bible says. It says this, it's, and here's what God says to us. He says, rescue those being led away to death. I mean, isn't that what Love 146 helps do when they work with local law enforcement, and then once those kids are, are, are pulled out of a brothel, like, they help them get their lives back. Like, they, they just don't say, hey, you know what? You don't have to do that anymore, so good luck. Like, they don't do that. Like, they help them process all of that trauma and all that they've been through and help them see that they're valuable mm -hmm. and that they matter because they matter to God. And so they rescue them. And get this, it says, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. So don't only just rescue the ones that have been in trouble, but those that are staggering, those that are on the path, those that are highly vulnerable, that are at high risk for being trafficked, hold them back because they're staggering toward the slaughter. Some of them know it, some of them are aware, some of them have no idea that that's the path that they're on. I mean, so wouldn't the best thing would be for us to do is to hold those people back because like, you need to stop because you have no idea what you are doing. So help me, let me help you see where this is going to go. And then, then look at the next verse. Look at verse 12. It says, but if you say, we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? And so God is saying to us, is like, hey, you can no longer say that you didn't know anything about it. 
because today you do. And so today we know, and God knows that we know. And so we have to do something about it. We can no longer just sit and just think, well, you know what? I don't even, I'm not even sure if that's even real. Oh, it's real. And it really happens. And these are real kids. These are real lives. And they need real rescue. You know, I think about, um, I, I think about the Christmas story and how when Jesus was born that very first Christmas, literally the world was staggering toward a spiritual slaughter because we had no way for our sins to be forgiven, right? I mean, there was no way for humanity to be forgiven of their sins. And so God saw us staggering towards an eternal slaughter. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to be born in a manger. And on that very first Christmas, that is when love finally arrived in the world for us. And we were waiting for it to happen. And we didn't even know that's what we needed. But we did. And I think about, like, you know, in a, in, in, in a very small individual way, there are these little kids in these traffic situations in brothels, wherever they are in the world, they're waiting for love to arrive. They're waiting for someone to arrive to rescue them and to help them put their lives back. And that's what Love 146 does. And those that are on the path that are either at the front end of being trafficked or on that path to one day being trafficked because they're being manipulated and coerced and groomed, we can stop that. And they are waiting for love to arrive as well. And it happens through an organization like Love 146. And so, Aria, like, I know that you, you work at Love 146, but you work here at the Houston office in this area. And so, I know that you have seen, I know, I know a little bit about what you do, but I want to give you a chance to help everybody understand a little bit more about what you do. Because, look, let's just face it, most of us, when we think about human trafficking, we think about Liam Neeson, right? And, uh, I mean, we do. Or we think about, like, like, people being shipped in crates undercover in a shipyard, and they come to America thinking they're going to get jobs, and no, they were tricked, and so now, you know, they, they're in a brothel somewhere, you know, with no hope. But... That's not always what it looks like, is it? So why don't you talk about what you do and what you've seen, particularly here in the Houston area. Yeah, so we've been doing prevention um, in the Houston area, prevention education for about the past two years. And through these programs, we have reached 4,400 youth um, and have received about 97 disclosures. Uh, and those disclosures vary and and from any forms of abuse and different things that we talk, when we talk about those high-risk, highly vulnerable populations, um, that's who we're talking about, sexual abuse, um, strong dating violence, substance abuse, but 18 of those uh, disclosures were actual human trafficking cases um, and exploitation, where youth have told us that these situations, that they, they realize now that they are in trafficking and exploitation situations. 
And I think it's really important to note that, that out of that 90-something, 18 were actual trafficking situations, but the rest, the 70 or 80 others, were on that pathway of being considered high risk. And so the idea, what we're trying to do is to prevent those at-risk youth to be added to the 18 number. It's the prevention thing. You know, we, we often use this example of, of sort of like bodies falling off of a cliff, and we've been t bringing in ambulances and, re and, and the recovery process of those bodies falling off the cliff, but man, we're now building a guardrail on top of the cliff because we want to stop bodies from falling off of the cliff. So I love what Aria is doing and some of my other colleagues in Love 146 that are working directly with youth to prevent this from happening. We're building guardrails, and you guys were building guardrails here in Houston to protect children here um, from that, and you guys are a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in, in talking about taken, that's like one of our first modules is what is human trafficking? What does it look like? And the kids all throw their hands up, Liam Neeson, taken. Um, and that's what they think is highly sensationalized and, and they can't necessarily connect to those stories. Um, and it's hard even for us to, but we know that that's not what trafficking looks like in most cases, particularly in um, suburban areas and even inner city. People aren't being kidnapped. They're not being shackled. Um, and some are, but most aren't. And so really going through that first module like a couple weeks ago in a, in a classroom in suburban Houston, not very far from here, um, as we go through some scenarios and case studies and, and like walk through this with youth, like what does trafficking look like? We kind of see the light bulb go off and like kids are like, wait a second, like we're putting a name to something that maybe they'd seen with their peers or their friends. Um, and, and now that it's labeled trafficking, it's like, oh, I know someone who that's happened to um, because it's not this sensationalized. They're being sold 15, 16 times a night, and sometimes it's one, and that's still one too many, you know? So, so when um, recently I had a student just kind of like jotting, like, like writing an, an essay almost during a module, and after class just kind of handed it to me, and it was, this story is my friend. Like, this story happened just like this. And, and she essentially told us about how a 14-year-old student, again, not far from here, um, was dating an older guy in the school, I want to say about 18. And this is a relationship. This happens all the time, these power differentials and a young girl's dating someone, influential, popular, whatever it may be. And, um, and through this relationship, he starts to isolate her from her friends and, and, is, um, and is grooming her in a lot of ways. So she, she's losing her friends through this process, probably over the span of about a year. And, and as she gets further and more distant from her family and her friends, um, he starts manipulating her and saying, you know, I'm the only one who loves you. You know, if you loved me, you would do this. And, and it turns into, if you loved me, you would let my friend watch us have sex. If you loved me, uh, you would let him, him have sex with you in exchange for money. So this relationship that started as like a young girl dating an older, probably more popular guy, and being, uh, experiencing some dating violence and isolation and manipulation slowly is being coerced into having sex with other people for money. And this is somebody who's probably still just going to school, you know, like that it's not this in a basement somewhere situation that we're seeing. So you're, wait, so you're saying that this older guy, like he was intentional and deliberate about this path, that he was plotting, he was grooming her for this? Yes. And, and that's, that is typically what this looks like. Right, and that it's, it's a grooming relationship and people are incredibly patient and it happens, you know, over time. It's not like a, we started dating last week and now I'm exploiting you situation. Yeah. You know, and I, I'll be honest with you, I can't get over those numbers that you threw out. I mean, okay, 4,400 kids that you guys have presented to in this last year, um, 97 
are on the path, or, and then, but 18 of those 97 are currently being trafficked. You know, I think about that. The average high school in our area is about 3,000 kids. So if you use those same ratios, that means that in any given high school, you know, there's about 65 kids that are on the path that are at high risk and highly vulnerable to being trafficked, and about 12 of them already are. And, and, and this occurs in suburbia. Like, this is not just like inner city Houston, right? Mm-hmm. So, to, now, I, I, don't, I don't think that it's fair to say that at every high school in our area, there's 12 kids being trafficked. You, you can't say that. But what we can say is that there are, definitely, there are definitely a good number of kids that are at high risk. And that are, and to say that nobody in those schools is being trafficked, you got your head in the sand. I can promise you that there are kids in our schools, right here in our community, that are being trafficked and that some are being groomed right now to be trafficked in the future. Just the, number, the numbers are too great. It's happening. And, and it blows my mind that that is what's happening. I, yeah. I, th- I think the grooming thing is really important to, to understand. I don't know, I ha- I, I'm 50-something years old. I, I know exactly how old I am, 53. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I remember growing up watching this show called Wild Kingdom, you know, and, and some of you that are not that, that old will see like these National Geographic specials where you see these predatory animals like lions or whatever going after a herd of antelope or whatever kind of deer or something like that. And you see that these predators will always pick out the most vulnerable. They never go after the strong bucks. They go after the vulnerable. So they'll go after the very young um, for, for prey. Or they'll go after the sick or the lame for prey. They go for the easy. And, and it's no different. I mean, this is what's so disturbing to me is that there is this predatory mentality of going after vulnerabilities. And these pimps, these traffickers, look for those kinds of vulnerabilities. In fact, I I know of one uh, girl who um, described how her pimp and her trafficker in the evenings after they came off the streets would gather his stable of girls together and have family dinner together. And she said, I loved that. She says, it was like we were a family. And and here's this ache and this longing for home and family that this pimp and this trafficker tapped right into and building something that looks way stronger than actual physical change. This sense of dependence, this sense of community, and this sense of belonging to the point where many pimps and traffickers like to be called daddy. And as a daddy, that ticks me off. It really, it really ticks me off because that's no daddy, but there's a predatory mentality there that has to be a, a, a addressed. And so the prevention piece is huge. Oh, that is huge. Um, because again, if we can prevent it from ever happening in the first place, I mean, that, that is the, one of the very best things that we could do or be a part of. Um, now, Rob, as we kind of wind this down, I know that you had told me there was a, uh, you know, one key thing that you wanted to make sure that you shared today, so I want, you to, want to give you a yeah, chance to do that. Thanks. It's getting crazy out there. Breaking news. It's, the world is going mad, right? You can't get up in the morning and read a newspaper or watch the news without that realization. All the isms, terrorism, racism, increasing violence, pictures and, uh, of refugee children washing up onto shores, and, 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 and it's just madness. And it's so easy to give into that. I meet people all the time that sort of have thrown up their hands and be like, oh my gosh, it's just, I give up. It's just getting crazy. And this giving into despair. 
And my thinking, and especially during Christmas time, is there's this sense of waiting and this sense of expect, expectant hope. How do we stay hopeful in the midst of the craziness and the madness? And when you're talking about something like this, the trafficking and exploitation of children, you came to a Sunday service and you're just like, wow, this is really dark. This is, this is, this is madness. You know, the idea, I mean, we have six of six. We have six children in our care right now in the Philippines under seven years of age. The youngest brought into our care last year when I was actually coming here on the plane, I got the news that we had brought a two-year-old into our care. It doesn't get much crazier and mad and dark than that. Um, so to be hopeful, I think, actually is an act of defiance saying I refuse to give in to despair. I'm gonna be defiantly hopeful. I've been exploring this sense of defiant um, hope. And, and just this past week, I received a video um, from our director of aftercare in the Philippines who sent us a video of children celebrating at a Christmas party in our home. And my wife and I sat there watching this video and we have tears coming down our face at these children singing songs of joy and Christmas carols and, and they're singing it just like you'd see at any sort of church service of, of kids singing Christmas carols and they're laughing and giggling the way childhood should be. And, and I was so stunned, I thought there is no more graphic example of defiant hope than this. Children who you would think shouldn't even have a reason to smile again, celebrating joy and that's what what you guys are making possible. So again, thank you. I get to be there this week. I'm leaving tomorrow actually for the Philippines and I get to be, they have Christmas parties literally all December. So I get to go to one of these Christmas parties. So I'm <laughs> gonna be shouting and dancing and celebrating joy with these amazing children that you've been helping, um, yeah, bring their childhood back to. And I love this whole um, when, when love shows up and, and this is what that is all about. Anything can happen. Oh, that's great. Thanks, guys. Hey, um, before I, ha I make some closing comments, let's thank them for being uh, with us here today. Can we do that? Awesome. You guys are amazing. Y'all are just completely amazing. I love what you do. Okay, so this is where we come in, okay? Um, this season, we are starting our Christmas offering. Um, like today, our Christmas offering begins. Every year we take up an, a Christmas offering and every dollar that goes that offering goes out to help organizations outside the walls of Parkway Fellowship. This year for our Christmas offering, half of the money is gonna go support Love 146. The other half is gonna go and help support some local mission and a few foreign missions that are here in our area. Um, and we're going to be doing mission projects during 2016 with uh, some of these local organizations. Now, I'm going to talk about a lot of that next week. But half of the money for the Christmas offering is going to go to Love 146 to help prevent kids that are at high risk, that are highly vulnerable from ever being trafficked in the first place. So increase their awareness. They're like, oh my gosh, this is the path I'm on. I have to, I have to stop immediately. So it goes to help prevention education to happen more frequently and to reach more kids. And it goes to help those kids who have been trafficked get their lives back. So that those kids, so those kids can have a Christmas party. Probably some of them for the very first time in their entire life. They can have a party. And they can celebrate the new life that they have because of an organization like Love 146. So listen, 
every dollar that you give to the Christmas offering, that's one more kid that will never be trafficked. Every dollar that you give to the Christmas offering, that's one more kid that gets their life back that they had taken from them. Is there anything else that you could give to Christmas, this Christmas, that would be more worthy than that? I mean, is there anything else that you could do with your money at Christmas time that would yield better, more hopeful results than that? So, give the Christmas offering. Now, we're going to take our Christmas offering from now through January 31st, because I know that, you know, some of you, you get bonuses, but you don't even see, you don't see that until January. So, from now through January 31st, we'll be taking our Christmas offering. So, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and I want you to talk about it. And I want you to pray about it. And I want you to ask God how much he is asking you to give to the Christmas offering. I don't want to tell you the amount. I want God to tell you what he wants you to give. And whatever he tells you to give, I want to encourage you to give it. Because that means that he has a plan for that money. And he's got a person in mind that he wants to either protect or he wants to rescue and give them their life back. So, go and ask God what he wants you to give, and then give it to the Christmas offering this year. I'm telling you, I'm so excited about what God is gonna do through all of this. So, let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning with conflicted hearts. Conflicted because while we are so hopeful at what you are doing, and I thank you for all the kids that are currently being prevented from being trafficked. I thank you for the kids right now that are being rehabilitated and that you are giving them their lives back through Love 146. But God, there's this other piece of us that, is, that struggles with the fact that this even exists and this is here and it's, and it's in our area. There are kids in our area. And so God, I ask that you would show each one of us what you want us to give and how we can step in and be a part, and so we can rescue those that are staggering towards the slaughter. And in so doing, God, change the course of their lives. And I ask that through it, you would change the course of ours as well. So we love you. And thank you for your son, Jesus, that when love arrived through him, it changed us. And so I ask that you would, us, use us to help love arrive for these kids. And we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.